Beautiful. So good to have a full stage of different instruments. It helps to uh, drown out our own voices, right? You know, because some of us have a hard time keeping pitch, right? You know, so <laughs> I can really belt it out now because I don't have to worry about that. Uh, sorry, Debbie. No, I was talking about me, and you're having to hear me. Come on. Boy, so sensitive this morning. Uh, oh, anybody have Christmas socks? Yeah. 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 Anyone? 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 Come on. I don't see any other Christmas. Scott, do you have Christmas socks? He didn't wear them? Oh. All right, all right. Ah, <laughs> uh, Jesus is the center of everything. Amen? Amen? Amen. He's the center of it all. I mean, it starts like in the beginning of history. I mean, we even see in the creation story, right, this, uh, this allusion right after the fall to Jesus coming, right? The, the seed of the woman. Did something just fall over there? Nice. Oh, it's a stand? Oh, the magical stand. Yeah, that's fun. The seed of the woman would stomp on the head of the serpent. We see at the very beginning, right, this allusion that it's all about Jesus. Uh, it is said that we can't really fully understand the Old Testament unless we perceive it and understand it through Jesus. It's, of course, true of the New Testament, right? The whole New Testament is about Jesus, but it's true of all of life. Our life today, even though it's 2,000 years removed from Jesus walking on this earth, it still is only understood correctly when understood through Jesus. Jesus is the center of all. Uh, our alliance uh, perspective of the fourfold gospel, that Jesus is our Savior. Let's read John 3. I hope you know these verses. If you don't, I encourage you to get to know them. Foundational verses to, the, to Christianity, to our faith. Again, all about Jesus. John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. In verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus is the center of our salvation. The fourfold gospel says that Jesus is our Savior, the one who rose from the dead. And he rose triumphant, right? He wasn't defeated. He didn't come out, you know, kind of like, you know, oh, I barely made it. No, he rose triumphant as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He rose as a liberator, the first one to ever break the chains of death. Resurrected from the dead. The first one. The one that gives us hope that we can someday be resurrected as well. Amen? But not only is he the one who rose, he's also the one who died. He died obediently. 
following his father's will. He died willingly. He wasn't forced to do it. He chose it. And he died humbly. One of the most brutal deaths that human beings can endure. Dying on the cross. Not only is the one who rose from the dead, not only is the one who died, but he's also the one who lived. He lived as a human being. He was tempted just like we are in every way. You know, sometimes we boil down the temptations, the three temptations of Jesus at the beginning of his life, and we think, oh, well, he just had three temptations. No, no, no. The temptations were throughout his life. Constantly be tempting, just like we are. Even just fast forward to, you know, the beginning of his life, he's got those three temptations with Satan. And then at the end of his life, in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he wants to get, walk away from the cross. And so he prays to, God, to his father and says, would you just take this cup from me? The temptation was there. He could at that moment say, no, I'm not doing it. It's too difficult. It's too hard. I'm not following my father in this. But then he said, but your will, father, not mine. All of, he was tempted in every way that we are tempted so that he could understand what we've been through in part, so that he could understand that, but also so that he could be an example to us, an example of how we are to live our life, an example of how we can defeat temptation as well, not on our own, not on our own power, but with the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was not the, just the one who rose from the dead. He wasn't just the one who died. He wasn't just the one who lived. He was the one who was born. A baby. This just blows our minds, and it should. If it doesn't blow your mind, it should blow your mind. <laughs> the God of the universe, the maker of everything, the one who spoke and things came into being, things that had never existed before, he began, he started, he created it. That being came to earth as a baby. I mean, you could imagine maybe that he would come down, right, from the heavens, like, you know, and all of this, you know, glory and all of this, you know, you know just chaos and music and, and maybe lightning and, and thunder and all. You could imagine that, right? God coming down like that, that makes sense, right? This is God. Like that we would be, uh, you know, driven to our knees in fear of this amazing and powerful being that's coming to earth. That, that would make sense, but it should blow our minds that this being who has at his disposal all of those things could have entered the world that way chose to enter as a baby, a baby, vulnerable. You know, it wasn't like he was, you know, an independent baby, like pops out of the womb, I got this, Mary, don't worry about it, I can feed myself, it's okay, I got it, no, I really don't need you. No, he came out vulnerable as a baby, needing, dependent. It blows our minds, and it should blow our minds. That he loved us this way so much that he wanted to en enjoy the life that we live, to live the life 
that we lived, which helps us to understand that the life that we're living is valuable. You know, so often we think, you know, God, why are we doing this? Why do we have to suffer? Why do we have to get through all this? Why do we have to live this difficult life with evil and sin and wrestling? Why, I mean, why can't we just, you know, get out of here and go do something else? I mean, this really isn't very important. Let's just get to eternity. But by Jesus coming and living this life, being born as a baby, living this life as a human being, he's saying, no, 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 this is valuable. Despite what it looks like, despite the struggle, the trials, the suffering, the evil, there's value in it. Despite who Jesus is and that he is the center of everything, that he is the one who rose, the one who died, the one who lives, and the one who, who was born, there are many who doubt and many who are disappointed with Jesus. I mean, imagine uh, even in Jesus' life, consider his, his family, right? Family and friends, uh, the city that he grew up in. I mean, they, they all at times rejected him or doubted that he is who he says he was. I mean, his brother James did not think that Jesus was the Messiah for all of Jesus' life. I mean, think about that. His own brother was like, uh, yeah, my, my brother Jesus, he's got maybe a couple screws loose. I mean, this guy is cuckoo, right? You know what I mean? That is not the Messiah. There's no way. I saw him when he was, you know, young, and he was, you know, kind of picking on me every once in a while. Now, you got to be careful, right? Okay, I mean, what are we doing? Jesus sinning his Okay, anyway, moving past that. But even his family were like, eh, not sure. His friends, his own town, he went to, to do miracles in his own town. And, and Mark chapter 6, I believe it is, it talks about how he, he came and he wanted to do all these amazing things. But they sat there and they watched him do these things and they go, wait a second. I mean, don't we know his mother, Mary? Uh, I mean, isn't he the carpenter's son? And he's doing this stuff? This, this doesn't add up. This doesn't make sense. And so scripture tells us that he wasn't able to do much in that town, his hometown, because they didn't respect him. They, didn't, they just had a hard time buying that he was who he said he was. And even the disciples, they struggled to understand and to know, accept that Jesus says who he said he was. You know, at the cross, right? They all deserted him. They all turned their back on him. They're all disappointed. They all had this expectation of Jesus, and this is kind of where the disappointment comes. You know, the Jews, they had this perspective of the Messiah, that he was going to come and he was going to do certain things. And so as, they show, as he showed up and he's going around and doing all these miracles, you think, well, maybe, maybe this is it. Remember the triumphal entry a week before his death on the cross, right? And they're all celebrating and they're all Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, right? They're laying down their cloaks and the palm branches and all this kind of stuff's going on. They're exalting him as king of kings, lord of lords, expecting that he is going to drive out Rome. See, they expected that Jesus was going to show up and he was going to liberate them from Rome, from, from these evil oppressors. That he was going to somehow come in and end their suffering. 
That they would no longer have to deal with this evil that is all around them. Not allowing them to worship the way they wanted to worship, the way that Scripture even taught them how to worship. Not allowing them to live the lives that they wanted to freely. They thought Jesus was going to come and do all of that, just to liberate them from that, to do the, accomplish, bring this kingdom now. And they were disappointed. They're like, wait a second. Even on the cross, some walking by and saying, hey, you know, if you are really, really the son of God, command your angels, come down off the cross. Prove it. Amazing thing is, is I think that this sense of disappointment and doubt still exists today. Even though we know, in a sense, the rest of the story of Jesus, the resurrection, the ascension, all of that, we still, I think, as Christians, we come to the Lord and we can sometimes be pretty disappointed. Because I think oftentimes we come with a similar perspective and expectation that the Jews came with. An expectation that, you know, he's going to come in, he's going to drive out all the evil from our life. That all the oppressors, the evil people around us that have been horrible to us, either he's going to like, you know, just kind of strike them down so they're done, or he's going to totally transform them and change them. And that those people are going to come to us, oh, I'm so sorry, I've been so mean to you, I'm sorry, please forgive me, you know, kind of thing. And we're like, aha, yeah, that's right, you finally realized the wrongness of your ways, the sin of your ways. We Christians do this as well. We expect Jesus to end all of our suffering immediately. That life will no longer be a struggle. That everything will just kind of start to come easy think that we're going to get blessed by our religiosity. Oh, but Jesus, I, I went to church twice this week. Don't, don't I deserve something? Don't I deserve some extra blessing? Maybe a little you know, raise at work or to get that promotion or maybe a relationship reconciled? We can be just as disappointed with Jesus as the Pharisees were and as the Jews were 2,000 years ago. But Jesus, for those who believe in him, those who trust him, he ignites our hearts with joy. It is good news of great joy that Jesus came to the earth, that he lived among us, that he was tempted in every way yet remained perfect, that he willingly went to the cross and died on that cross and then rose from the dead. These are reasons for joy. The fact that our Savior came to the earth. Do you understand, again, the amazing reality, the miraculous nature of Jesus' coming, of the King of the universe coming to earth to live among us? It is unbelievable. It proves that this God who created us is pursuing us. You want evidence that God loves you? You want evidence that he's pursuing a relationship with you? You want evidence that he's not given up on you? Then look at Jesus. 
He is that evidence. He showed up. He humbled himself, Philippians 2 tells us. He humbled himself and became like a man. He allowed it. He put off his godliness, his divinity for a minute in order to come and enjoy 30 years in this world with us. In order that he could live this perfect life as an example for us, in order that he could go at the, at, at the right time and give his life as a ransom for many, in order that he would enter to death, Sheol, and then destroy it and come out triumphant on the other side and giving us hope for, for tomorrow, hope for eternity. This is the Jesus that we have. This is the one who came. He proves his love for us and pursuit for us. And it is reason for joy. It indeed is good, jo- it is indeed good news. He has heard our cry. See, Jesus showing up. This, the Jews had been crying out for God for 500 years. Where are you, God? When are you going to relieve us of our oppression? When are you going to come? When are you going to send the promised one? Finally, he arrives. So Jesus showing up as a baby in this dramatic fashion with the shepherds and the angels and the wise men and the star and the virgin birth and all the visions and dreams of angels that came and spoke to Mary and to Joseph. It's amazing, all of this stuff. This was the promise. This was Jesus saying, God saying, I hear your cry, people, and I'm here. I'm here to save you. His arrival is indeed reason for great joy. And he has come. He did come to set us free. He did come to establish his new kingdom of peace and love and joy. And he did come to bless those who bow their knee to Jesus as Lord. But understand, and this is where the Jews missed it, And this is where many times we as Christians today miss it. That he came to first and foremost free us of the oppression of our own sin. Not the sin of others. That's the sin that binds us. That's the sin that enslaves us. That's the sin that keeps us from enjoying all that Jesus has for us. That is the oppression that he came to defeat. Now certainly there will be a fuller fulfillment of this promise of defeating the oppressed and and destroying evil once and for all, but that is still in the future for us to fully enjoy in our lives here. But today, the moment we bow our knee to Jesus as Lord, he takes care of the greatest oppressor of every human being in the entire world the oppression of our own sinful nature. And he blesses not necessarily in a worldly perspective of blessing, but he blesses our hearts and our souls. He brings peace we preached, as I preached last week, provision and presence, we, it brings peace to our souls. How many of us have experienced the peace in the moment of crisis 
when we shouldn't feel at peace. That is the presence of Jesus in our life. That is the great blessing of having the Holy Spirit within us. How many of us have experienced the empowerment to do things that we knew we couldn't do or we had no gifting in? How many of us have experienced or been a part of miraculous events, maybe not done by us, but at least witnessed it or seen it, or God stepping down and doing things that you're like, wait a second, that should have never happened. How many of us have been on our deathbed and then all of a sudden Jesus show up and we get miraculously healed. I have a friend who went through that. Unbelievable. Dead for seven minutes. CPR on him for seven minutes. Came back and not even, I mean, didn't, I mean, didn't lose anything mentally. That is a miracle. God is active. He's, he's here. This is the great blessing that we get. My friend's great blessing was not that he didn't get leukemia. The great blessing in that in the middle, in the midst of leukemia, in that battle, he was able to feel peace. This good news of great joy is for all the people. It's for all of creation. It is worthy to be shouted from the mountaintops, amen? Do we understand that we have this great news and that there are some in this world, many in this world, who don't know that good news? In Luke chapter 12, verse 48, this has actually uh, been one of my life verses in some sense. Jesus says in the second half of this verse, to whom much is given, much is required. We so often just look at, again, this from an earthly perspective. Oh, well, if I, I've got a lot of money, then okay, that means I, I, I should be pretty generous with that money or something like that. And it does mean that, don't get me wrong. But I think to just leave it there in a physical sense misses maybe the big point. Is that all of us who know Jesus, all of us who have bowed our knee to Jesus as Lord, we have been given the most extraordinary gift of all time. And that gift, those who have been given such a great blessing, much is required. And what is required is that we do not hold that gift to ourselves, but we share it with the world. This is part of our vision statement, the last statement in our vision statement. Again, remember the slogan, fully enjoying our relationship with Jesus. But the last statement is engaging our neighbor with the love of God in authentic and caring relationship. This is why it's here, because we have an obligation to, to reconcile the world to him, to be ambassadors for Christ, to be able to pass on this amazing gift that we've been given. Matter of fact, it's been a while, so we need to read this verse as well. I'm just going to turn to it. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Again, should be familiar to many, if not all of you, especially if you've been in the Alliance Church. We go to this a lot, but here we go. Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. What a great promise that he is with us, but what a great command that we are to go and share this good news with the world. 
across the street, across the state, across the nation, across the globe. We are to go. This statement and our vision, engaging our neighbor, means all of the above, or at least where Jesus is calling you specifically. Individually, you may not be called to the world. You may be very well called to your neighbor. And I mean quite literally the one across the street or next door. Matter of fact, too often Christians are looking to the nations before they look to their neighbors across the street. And we need to consider that as well. But God is going to call you to someone. There is someone in your life who doesn't know Jesus. There are probably many someones. And if there are no someones who don't know Jesus, then you're spending too much time with Christians. Get out and see the world. This is what Jesus is about. It's about taking this good news and sharing it with others. Following Jesus wherever he leads, to whomever he leads. Two aspects of this statement, authentic and caring relationships, a way to kind of define this, and I want to take a moment to to kind of share a little bit more what I mean by that. First of all, authentic relationship. Central to this perspective is that the lost, those who don't know Jesus, are not a number. Evangelism is not just about evangelism. Evangelism is about relationship. We do not just go out to the lost in order to try to share the gospel message with them, and then if they accept it or reject it, then we're done. This is not how our missionaries on the mission field operate. If they did, they would just do like tent meetings, and they would go into a tent meeting, do their thing, and then they would leave. But no, we send missionaries to go and live among these people in other nations in order to develop relationships with them so that they can share the love of Jesus, not just with their mouth, but with their lives. We as a church are not going to just do some kind of outreach event We are about relationships with the lost, not just conversions with the lost, not just evangelism to the lost. So we say authentic relationship because we want to seek real relationships with the lost, those who don't know Jesus. If that's our neighbor, that we're going to really get to know them for them, not just so that someday we can share the love of Jesus, but so that we can be in relationship with them for as long as Jesus has us there. Certainly we want to share the love of Jesus. We want to share that good news, and we should look for those opportunities, but that's not the only reason we're there. So authentic relationship. We are in it for the long haul with these folks. And second of all, caring relationship, which means that we jump into their struggle. We don't just develop a relationship from afar. We don't just, you know, kind of, you know, acquaintances type of relationship. No, we want to really dive into relationship, even when that relationship gets messy. Even when their life is in chaos. Matter of fact, I would say this, and this is true of this is Jesus, right? It's the, it's the, it's the sick who need a doctor, not the healthy. 
This is a principle for evangelism, that we are looking for those, actually, who are, our life is in chaos. And that neighbor that we're developing a relationship with, when their life gets, gets into chaos and struggles begin to happen and trials begin to happen, boy, we better be there. Because that's an opportunity, not only for that relationship to deepen, where we can actually care for them, but also they're going to be open, more so than they were before, to hearing the gospel presentation, to, to hear about who Jesus is. Like I said many times, you know, in my math class, if I'm getting straight A's in math, I'm not going to change the way I study. As soon as I start failing tests, then I'm like, oh, wait a second. Probably should reevaluate how I'm doing things. And this is what happens with trials in life. When life is going really well and everything is going good, we're just like, yeah, this works. But as soon as life begins to fall apart, that's when we go, hmm. And we, as those who have been blessed, those who have this great good news of great joy, we've got to be there. When people who don't know Jesus begin to evaluate because life is chaos. Again, this year, what have we experienced? I mean, the church is booming actually across the world because of, because of COVID-19. So, you know, this is where I struggle with, okay, I mean, COVID-19 is a bad thing, and I believe that, right? I mean, we don't want people dying, we don't want people sick, all this kind of stuff. This is really difficult, it's hard, but look what Jesus does with it. The redemption that comes out of it, the people that have been driven to him because of it. Mike Hurley just told me that he led a, a, another person to the Lord on the phone, you know, with Samaritan's Purse again this week. I mean, this is the opportunity that comes, and we've got to be there when that happens. Enjoying our relationship with Jesus comes by joining him in his work. And Jesus' work is about pursuing people who are not reconciled to his Father. We get to enjoy Jesus when we hang out with him. How many of you have a father who would take you to work every once in a while? I mean, what a great joy. Or, or a father who was doing yard work and invite you to come out and be a part of that, right? I mean, maybe some of that wasn't good, but some of you, I mean, to be able to work with your father, right? To be able to be alongside them, to be able to, to kind of do the things and to learn from them as they, they hit that, that nail with a hammer, as they dig that, you know, ditch in order to, you know, plant a garden or whatever it may be, right? I mean, this is what the opportunity that we have with our father in heaven, we get to enjoy this relationship with Jesus in his work. This is why we engage with our neighbors. Because we trust that he's already pursuing them. And so we want to join him in that pursuit. And I'll just say this too, and those many of you I know know this, and so it'll, hopefully I'll get some amens out of this. Any pre-amens? No? Okay. All right. The greatest joy that we as believers get to experience, I believe, is being a part of loving someone who doesn't know Jesus. To be a part of someone making that step into the family of God. One of the greatest joys of our life. 
I can tell you as a pastor, you know, I get this privilege of being a pastor. Why? I don't know why. Hey, you guys maybe ask this question too. Why is he our pastor? I don't get it. I don't, but it's a great blessing for me because I get to walk and journey with so many different people in so many different situations and to see the Holy Spirit show up and to know that, oh my gosh, I was there when that happened. I, I got to be a part of it. I, I didn't do anything. I was just there. But he allows us to enjoy that with him. He allows us to be there. This is the greatest joy. It's not just that we're saved. Yeah, that's awesome. But it's just it's that we get to be with him. We get to it's participate in his glory. We get to participate in his work and his accomplishments and his successes. This is the greatest joy. Worship team, come up. And I have a couple more uh, songs, but before we do that, well, as they come up and prepare for that, just a couple more thoughts. This is uh, the concluding message, from me at least, in the Advent series that I've been doing. Again, fourfold gospel, our vision statement, and the Advent themes all smushed together. It's been fun to do this, um, but just want to give you some summary kind of thoughts as we close. Enjoying Jesus through praise and hope in him as our coming king. This is what we get. We get to enjoy Jesus through that. We get to enjoy Jesus through a sure faith in his spiritual and physical healing. We have a God who heals. We get to enjoy Jesus through his presence and provision which brings peace, amazing peace. And finally, we get to enjoy Jesus through sharing. Amen. It wasn't quite yet. It was almost. A, <laughs> supposed to be a punctuation point at the end of this. We get to enjoy Jesus through the sharing, the joy of our salvation. This is a great season. And I hope, like me, you're feeling joy. That as you've evaluated this year, as you've contemplated the realities of who Jesus is and what he's done for us, as we've moved our way through Advent, looking forward to the coming of Jesus' birth, that, that that has brought joy. That perhaps maybe you're feeling more joy this year than you have in years before. Despite 2020 and all that it has had and all the struggle and all the trial and all the pain and the suffering and the death, that somehow, even in the midst of this year, that we could come to the end of this year and find even greater reasons to celebrate, to be joyful, to feel at peace, and to know that Jesus is here. Church, Merry Christmas. Let's stand, we'll sing another song or two, and then I'll come up and close with a passage. So awesome. Thank you, Jesus. You are born. You are the God of the universe. Yet you came down and you lived among us. You allowed yourself to come and be a baby, to be vulnerable, to live that perfect life for us, to give us an example of how we too can follow you by relying on your spirit. And then, Lord, you also humbly willingly and obediently went to the cross 
gave your life as a ransom for us, Lord, to pay for our sin so that you could break the chains of sin. And then after you died, you broke out of, out of death as well, that we have hope for eternity if we focus our lives on you. If we bow before you as Jesus, as Lord of our life, then we have hope for tomorrow and for today to know that you are continuing to work in our life, redeeming the struggles. But Lord, that you've given us this amazing blessing that's meant to be passed on. Lord, may you inspire each of our hearts to recognize the neighbor that you are calling us to, who needs to know this good news of great joy, and that you would give us the boldness, the courage, the words to speak, or just the life to live before them in order to communicate this amazing good news. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And let amen. me also read this passage in closing, Acts 1, 6 and following. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know time or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, church, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you have seen him go into heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Merry Christmas. Merry I'm going to miss you all for the next few weeks. I love you. Have a great holiday season. I'll see you in a few weeks. <laughs>